This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Equity Mind. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity mate, Ren. How are you going? I'm good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. Uh, We're speaking to an expert who uh, we've actually, I guess, followed from afar for a while. Yes. Um, for readers of uh, the Fairfax papers, uh, Sydney Morning Herald up in Sydney, well, actually, I should say the nine papers now, um, <laughs> yes. they, they run a share tipping competition and our guest seems to uh, always win it. So we've uh, actually actually been following for a while and it's great to finally get her on the show. Yeah, it always has the magic sauce. Yes. I don't know what's going on. But yeah. <laughs> and we will find out in this interview. <laughs> so, Ren, before we uh, also kick into the show, just a, a reminder or letting everyone know that we do have a live show coming up towards the end of April, mm. uh, aiming for the 29th. Pencil it in, unconfirmed at this stage. Check your social pipes. Uh Email, Instagram, all you, those. You ones. know what socials are. Yes. Uh, there'll be more information there. Um, actually, best place to go for this information and other high quality information: Facebook discussion group. Facebook discussion group. We're going to be uh, doing a live industry night, deep diving on uh, one industry that is of interest to us and will be to you, and that is the alcohol and beverages industry. It's going to be held at uh, at a great location uh, that is undisclosed for the moment. But come along. It's going to be live and also streaming. So anyone who can't make it here in Sydney, don't worry. You'll be able to join us online. Uh, and then we will make our best intentions and efforts to get around Australia towards uh, the latter half of this year. But keep your eyes peeled for our for our live show with uh, with the two of us and some experts. Yep. Sounds good. It is our pleasure to welcome to the show, uh, Angie Ellis. Uh, Angie, welcome. Oh, thank you very much, guys, for having me on the show. I'm a big fan of the show, so I feel very honoured. Thank you. <laughs> so, for those who uh, haven't come across Angie before, Angie is a, a private investor down in Melbourne. Um, and as Alex said, you may know her uh, from the Fairfax uh, Media Shares race in which she has won, I'm going to say five times. Is that right, Angie? Uh, I've, run, I've won it. 
just so many times. Yeah, they had a long, they weren't running it last year because of all the trouble um, with COVID. So they haven't been running it for a while. But yeah, I was in it for about four years. And it's just, yeah, it's like a fantasy shares race that I went for four weeks or six weeks and you couldn't change your stock picks. So you'd have to pick 10 stocks and then they'll follow you over that period of time. And at the end of four or six weeks, they would say, you know, this person is the winner. And Sometimes, you know, I'll pick some really crazy high flyers and I'd be up 70% in, yeah. you know, well, that period of time. So I would I would pick whatever's hot at the time, you know, like a lithium stock or, you know, everyone would be crazy about medicinal cannabis stocks. So whatever was having a bit of a run. Well, we'll unpack that in a second. Um, also, you may have seen, uh, I mean, the audience may have seen you as uh, 80-20 invest on social media. That's your... Uh, I guess, holding company or investment company that you're investing through privately. So uh, do follow Angie on on Twitter if you would like to continue the conversation with her. All right, well, uh, time to get stuck into our game, Overrated, Underrated, which uh, Ren will kick off and then we'll get stuck into the meat of the episode. Yeah, let's do it. So Angie, uh, we'll start at home with uh, our major index here in Australia. Overrated or underrated, the ASX 200? Uh, I would say overrated, even... Um, even though they, you know, it was a pretty good reporting season, but I was looking at some estimates, and they were saying, you know, over the next year, we're looking at about four and a half, five percent per annum for that ASX 200. So I don't hold a lot of stocks on the ASX 200. I've only probably got uh, two, Linus and Hub. So I don't really, I follow more the micro cap space. Uh, overrated or underrated? Then the Nasdaq 100. I said I add to this underrated. Like to me, these are the hottest companies that just keep getting hotter. Like Lululemon, eBay, you know, DocuSign ones I've just bought. So I thought, well, the Nasdaq 100s, the average returns 28% per annum. It did 49% last year. So I, I do like those companies in the Nasdaq 100, and it's good that Atlassian. We've got an Aussie company in there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully uh, more in the future. Yeah. Uh, next one, uh, overrated or underrated, investing in large cap stocks? Large caps, overrated. I, I don't invest in any large caps. And why is that? I just don't find I can get a good return. I think when I started investing and even when I started putting shares in the shares race, I was very much in that sort of space and I just I, I just couldn't outperform the index. I just wasn't generating enough return to justify all my efforts. We will uh, we'll dig into that in a little bit. Um, overrated or underrated then the Australian uh, residential property market? Um, I, I answered it underrated. <laughs> I mean, before I was a share investor, I was a, a property investor and I bought a few properties that I've sold now, but I own my own house and I don't have any other property investments and I don't really follow the invest the property space. And then final one, uh, overrated or underrated Bitcoin? Okay, this is a tricky question, isn't it, for Bitcoin? <laughs> no, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> for Bryce, it's very straightforward. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I just um, – I had, I had to seek others' opinion on this because um, – and they said underrated. But um, it was like you don't value things enough until you need them and then it's often too expensive that in Bitcoin is insurance over the global financial system. But I don't really play into that Bitcoin space. I do own a share called Banksa. It's on the Toronto Ventures Exchange and it's a payment processor for cryptocurrencies. But um, I think that's a better way for me to play Bitcoin, like being more on the, you know, the supplies of the shovels and picks. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, fair play. So, uh, Angie, uh, we always like to get uh, a bit of an insight into our guests' very first investment as it often holds a bit of a story or a lesson. So, are you able to tell us the story of your first investment? Yeah, good question. So, there was a stock back in 1999, shows my age, um, called NYOB, Mind Your Own Business, and it's no longer... Do you know this company? Yeah. Yeah, I actually do. It's accounting software, isn't it? Yeah, so it's not on the stock market anymore. It's been on and off the stock market a couple of times, but it's similar to Zero, but it's not, you know, it wasn't a cloud accounting software product. But I actually got into the IPO of MYOB when it was $2. And the reason I got into it was because when I was 23, I started my own business and I started a business as an MYOB consultant and I used to run training classes and I employed up, you know, one stage I had like 10 staff. And it was around the time that everyone was computerizing their accounting systems. So we were flat out. It was a really fun business. And uh, I loved it. And I used to run all these courses and we did on-site training. So when MYB went to list, the CEO told me, you know, after all my, you know, efforts of doing free demos, he said, Angie, you can you can apply for as many shares as you like. So I thought, oh, how fantastic. So I applied for like you know, this huge amount, it was like um, $47,000 or something of shares, or 46000 of shares. And then he called me up and said, actually, you're number one on my reject list and he was going to refund me the money and I could only get $3,500 oh, no. worth of these shares. I was crushed. <laughs> and um, they opened at $4 oh. and they went up to $21. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That could have been your retirement. I know. I watched them skyrocket. I was I was really devastated at the time, and um, and I did I did meet someone later who who bought a house outright from that listing. Wow! You know, so it, it sort of gave me that taste that these high flying shares and how they can really change your life and really set you up. Mm. That someone just bought a house, you know, from yeah. that yeah. that experience, and um, and I knew the company so well. So, you know, because I had been running this business for so many years and knew the product. So I think it was a, a good lesson for me that I probably should have pushed it a bit harder to get that initial money. I should have called them up and said, no, 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 this is what's <laughs> happening, guys. So uh, from that first investment in MYOB to now, have you developed a personal investing philosophy? I would say... Uh, I'm definitely a growth investor. I definitely look for that strong earnings growth like MYB was going through at the time where, you know, my, you know, like my phone was ringing off the hook with people trying to book training. It was just, you know, I couldn't keep up with the sales, you know, that sort of business. I definitely focus on those sorts of businesses. They've got really strong tailwinds pushing the demand for the product. So, yeah, I'll definitely say that's part of my philosophy. Focusing on these small, young companies, they're not always profitable, but they've got good profit margin and they're really scalable. So you are now a private investor running uh, 80-20 Investments. What, what's been your journey to this point? And I, I guess, do you have any like formal training? Because a lot of people I think in the community would probably think that uh, you need to go to uni and all this sort of stuff to become a private investor, but is that is that the case with you? Oh, well, I did go to uni. I did my. I started off with a commerce degree at Melbourne, but I very quickly sort of put that on hold because I got a full time job as an accountant, like as a junior accountant when I finished school. So I did an accounting degree at night time. So I used to go like six to ten every night off to to Monash Uni in Caulfield and do this accounting degree. 
So I, I'm a CPA, but I just don't do accounting work these days. And so when I finished that degree, that's when I started my own little business. So I, I think that the training that I got doing the degree was great because I learned all about marketing and brand development. So it does help me to assess these fun, high-flying companies. So as Bryce said in the intro, um, you've been a prolific winner of the uh, Fairfax share tipping competition um, four or five times you've uh, taken out the the prize. So uh, you must be doing something right. Um, and we'd love to, I guess, unpack your process and, and learn from uh, what, what you're doing. So maybe let's start at the beginning in, um, I guess, an uh, area where a lot of people in the Equity Mates community I guess have a lot of questions and and really want to get more information, which is actually the process of finding companies and like generating investment ideas. That that real the top of the funnel there. So if we start there, how or I guess where do you generate uh, most of your investment ideas from? That's a great question. <laughs> so I have two systems for generating these ideas. The first system is very much that I learned from being in the shares race because. Like I was saying, initially I would pick fairly boring companies, you know, put CSL in there or West Farmers or something, and I just did, wasn't winning at the start. And so then I, that, that's when I started to really um, make myself a little system. I had a little algorithm that I wrote that was really scanning the whole market for these, these uptrending stocks. So that's the sort of half of my portfolio I run on that system. And then the other half I'll, I'll talk about later, which is sort of more sort of longer term holdings. But this sort of first way I do it where I have this little algorithm that I run, I wrote about five years ago, where I look at these strong volume stocks. They've got to be up trending. They're definitely up in the last few days. They're definitely up in the last week. And uh, I, I run I run across those stocks and it might generate a list of about 20 or 30 stocks. And then I look through that list. So this is the process I would do for the shares race and I do it for my own half of that portfolio is I want to see that there's lots of news flow about the stock, like what's going on with it? Why is it taking off like this? And I might see that it's had lots of articles written that's really talked about on Twitter. There's lots going on. There's lots of drilling results, say, or it's in a, uh, a green space like lithium. It's, you know, green lithium space and that's, being talked about at the moment. So definitely something like that where where it's going to have a bit of a run for a while. So I get a lot of great ideas from that. So just to unpack that a little bit, what you're saying is you'll apply, and this is just for, I guess, uh, the newer investors in, in the audience, um, you'll run like a screen or a filter through um, one of the, I guess, online tools available where you're filtering for stocks that uh, have a lot of volume or a lot of sort of buy orders coming into them over a particular period of time. And then you'll kind of align that with, uh, I guess, the macro view or some sort of, um, you know, whatever is going on in the news. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Um, and I'll, I'll look at why it's having this run and make sure that it's real and it's going to sustain that run. Like I might see that some good fund managers are bought into it and that's generating a bit of news as well. So, yeah, definitely. And it, it throws up some really quirky stocks by running a scan across the whole market like that. I've run across 2,200 stocks on the ASX and they for the shares race, they had to be over $0.05. Cents. So I still do that in my portfolio. I'll... I'll put the scanners greater than five cents and I'll 
I'll make sure that that uptrend is a bit of a smooth, I've got a filter that looks for a smooth uptrend. Yeah, and I find fun stocks that I wouldn't have picked before. So um, you've mentioned like a couple of different information sources there. You mentioned, I think, Twitter, and then you said you look at other fund managers. And I think that's a real uh, point of difficulty for a lot of retail investors, especially, you know, Bryce and I can't afford a Bloomberg terminal yet. 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 <laughs> yeah. um, what, what are some of uh, the information sources that you find most valuable? Oh, equity mates, of course. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's all we need, isn't it? I, do, I, yeah, I follow Livewire Markets too. And I, I have a digital subscription to the AFR. I think that's great. And if you're a student, you can get a student digital subscription to the AFR, which is quite cheap. So you can read it online every day. I, I, I find that's a fantastic source of information. I actually read an article in the AFR back in July 15 about Afterpay, back what Nick Molnar was doing at Afterpay, and I thought, that's fantastic. That's going to be huge. So I sent him a message on LinkedIn. I said, oh, I want to follow your updates. This is going to be huge. And so I, I wanted to get into it. At the time, I would never have thought to get into an IPO. I thought to myself, I'm going to I'm going to look at that when it lists. And then I actually totally forgot about it. And then I read the AFR again, you know, quite a few months later and that it had listed and it was already up to almost $2. It listed for a dollar and it was almost up to $2 when I saw it again in the AFR and went, that's that company I meant to follow. So I bought into it then. And I've had huge success with that. And that's just from reading the financial review. And I've had lots of other success too, like A2 Milk and companies like that, that I, that's where I got the information from. Getting uh, getting in early in Afterpay and A2 Milk, yeah. uh, that, that really softens the blow of missing out on MYOB back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I had a silly experience and this is what, like just one day, like a, um, I was just in a really dumb mood. And uh, I just sold all my Afterpay was $11 and I was just in a really stupid mood and just sold all my Afterpay shares oh, for $11. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, no. And then I went to a, a mining conference that day. And I caught up with one of the guys in my investment group because I was, what would you do that for? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just in a really dumb mood. And so a couple of days later, it was up back up to $14 and I had to buy them all back. Oh my god! Oh, oh well, at least you bought them at fourteen. Yeah, at least you got them at fourteen, rather than watching it run to a hundred. <laughs> That's just really—it was really stupid, and then I had to pay tax on that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> mm, yeah. So, uh, one half of the portfolio—you're fine. You're generating ideas using a bit of a screen, volume-based screening process. Um, in researching for this interview, um, it became evident that you're also using a, a bit of a fundamental versus technical approach when it came to. Uh, choosing stocks as well. Are you able to talk us through how you sort of use the two and where that fits in your portfolio? Yep, sure. Um, So the second half of the portfolio, I'm definitely looking for these, you know, companies that, you know, I look at the thematics, like it might be cloud computing or payment technology or uh, an area like that that is just doing really well at the moment. So I'll look across, you know, healthcare if that's what's booming at the moment and I'll try to find some great companies in that space. So I'll I'll look at what directors are buying, what fund managers are buying. I can often find some interesting companies. Like I did buy into that one view that, you know, one that's been going crazy on the stock market at the moment. I bought into that because Will Vickers, who's a fund manager, he was buying more of that stock a little while back. So 
So I thought, oh, I, it sort of captured my attention because he took up the the balance of the capital raising that they were doing. So he increased his holding. I thought he's a fantastic fund manager. So what's he buying? And I, I did quite a bit of work on that stock. So I've done really well from that. Uh, and just, yeah, if directors are increasing their shares in a company, especially if they're buying their kid's name or their super fund, I, I really like that. Where do you find that information just for people who are, I guess, curious? Yeah, well, I look at, I use ANZ share trading. So I just look at the, the news and I look down through the news um, to see what's going on with the company. I'm always looking through the, the news filter to see, okay, are substantial holders buying more? Like, is Thorny buying more or Wilson Asset Management? Are they taking up bigger positions? So I'll go through the director's trades. I also, guys, have um, market index as a little link on my phone that goes straight to director's trades. So a little a little shortcut on my phone, it's free. And I click on that every day and it just, I just scan through what directors are buying and selling. Interesting, interesting. So um, Bryce mentioned fundamental and technical approach. I think... Um, Bryce has dabbled with the uh, the dark arts of technical trading and charting, but I think here at Equity Mates, we're definitely more focused on the fundamental side of investing. Um, I guess in terms of mistakes, what are what are some of the common mistakes you hear about or you see retail investors make when they're either trying to follow a technical approach or a fundamental approach? Well, with a technical approach, I mean, there could be a reason that that pattern is setting up the way it's setting up you know there could be say it's it's, it could be a good stock and there might be a significant shareholder that you know they might have been bought out say say for example bwx say they bought a company out three years ago um they bought them out with shares and they were coming up after the three years and i and the, the bwx chart was really trending down i thought i wonder if that shareholder is selling out like i might look to other reasons why the the chart is doing what it's doing. So um, I would say that might be one of the mistakes. I think retail investors, maybe, I thought maybe jumping on a hot tip. Yes, yes, definitely a very common mistake. Feels like a rite of passage almost. Yeah, they might <laughs> jump on a hot tip. So sort of check it out. I, I do remember back in maybe April last year, I was getting all these hot tips to buy Freedom Foods. Like it was just coming through maybe my Twitter feed or somewhere, Freedom Foods, FNP. So I thought I'll go down to the supermarket and I'll buy some of their products and see what's going on. It was around the time that the, you know, everyone was buying toilet paper and the shelves were all empty. And the only thing there was the Freedom Foods products, all the gluten-free muesli. And <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, really, that's really interesting process. How often do you take a company that you're interested in and try and then – uh, I guess do that sort of qualitative research rather than just look at the computer screen. Where does that sort of fit in with your with your process? Well, that's what I mainly do. Like I'm always going and trying the product. Like I've been having some fun recently with Red Bubble that I've been posting on Twitter all my crazy things that I've been printing out of Red Bubble to try to understand the platform. So I've set myself up as an artist on the platform and I've been making lots of interesting um, sort of designs. I've been maybe putting some friends' photos and printing some magnets or some um, jigsaw puzzles and just in a private account so other people can't buy that design. Mm. But it just gives me a way to understand Redbubble from a customer point of view and from an artist point of view. So I'm very much into that. Like I like to try the products. I'll get friends to try the products and 
see what they think about it. And one of the um, products that I tried a couple of years ago was HelloFresh, the meal Yeah, kit. yeah. Do you, do you know, guys know Marley Spoon and HelloFresh? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, and I got friends to try it. And and then I, I bought shares in the company and I've done really well from um, those companies. And then sometimes I'd go to parties and all my girlfriends would be just raving the whole time at the party about how much they love HelloFresh, <laughs> not even knowing that I have shares in it, just talking about how much they love the you know the product so that I would top up my shares and end up buying more shares in it. <laughs> I, I love that style of investing. Like that's um, very much what Peter Lynch wrote about in One Up on Wall Street. And there's just so much information all around us, like as everyday people moving and you know interacting in the world. And you've really just got to have that investment, ha- investor hat on at all times, and really just be aware of what's going on around you. That's right. Drives the kids crazy when I go into the chemist and I'm like, oh, how's the Sukin face cream selling? You know, <laughs> like they drive them nuts. Like, you know, I'll go into La Vista, you know, the fast food sort of, you know, jewelry store and I'll be like, how are you going? You know, do you like working for the company? <laughs> you know, what's selling at the moment? Do you find you're busier this month than you were last month? <laughs> <laughs> well, if we now have a whole bunch of equity mates going out to retail stores around Australia and uh, you know, harassing <laughs> staff members with lists of questions. We'll know uh, they've been listening to this episode, Angie. <laughs> now, before we move on, uh, we'll just take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. So Angie, one of the, uh, yeah, look, I really enjoy that part of the process and it's something that um, anyone in the equity mates community can go out and do themselves. Like, you know, you could have taken the same approach with Afterpay, go on and buy something, use it, understand the customer experience, et cetera. So I think that's that's great. Are you able to give some, I guess, practical and clear examples of then what fundamental aspects you look at to overlay with that qualitative process um, to help then like f- crystallize that decision? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I definitely read all the financial reports. I, I definitely want to see, you know, that their revenues going up and that they're, you know, what they're doing with their business. So I definitely look at a lot of those fundamental things. I look at their debt levels. You know, I, I used to focus a lot more on those sorts of things like price earnings and peg and all those sort of fundamental indicators. But I, I must say I don't really do that as much now. Like I might, I might, might put me off a company where I can just see, I see what they're doing. You know, they've, 
they've changed their revenue mix. So that's why the revenue went down and now they're on more of a um, a recurring revenue model and they pivoted their business a bit. So I can, I'll, I'll look more to the future. Mm. So otherwise I might, they might, you know, their revenue might be down 10%, but if you dig through it, you think, okay, I can see what you did. You got rid of that, that big customer that was sort of driving you crazy. That was really low gross margin and, and instead you've got these smaller customers and you've got this different revenue model for them. So I'll, I'll look across that a little bit more. And then, yeah, sometimes with that, I might get out of a, a stock because of certain fundamental reasons. And I think that's one of the mistakes sometimes retail investors don't make. They realise, if I realise I've made a mistake, I'm happy to get back in. Yeah, so I yeah. Think sometimes, you know, if you get out of Afterpaid $11 and it just keeps taking off and it's $15 or $20 and you love Afterpaid and all your friends are raving about it, just get back to the party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a stock you really believe in and you just are disappointed you did that. Just pack it up and get back in. So, Angie, once you've uh, once you've found some of those, uh, I guess, fast-growing companies or, you know, the um, the screen that you've built has identified some companies that are particularly interesting, the, the question then becomes uh, actually building a portfolio. And I think, you know, the, the idea of... Um, you know, finding great companies and investing in them is, um, I guess, conceptually quite straightforward to understand in some ways. But then I think where, you know, the great investors really separate themselves is building a really great portfolio. So I guess to start general, how do you think about portfolio construction? Great question. I mean, for me, portfolio construction starts with setting what return I want to achieve. So it's important for me to select the assets that are going to get that that goal. So for me to justify that I'm full time, I'm doing all this work, I'm paying, you know, subscriptions, I'm listening to podcasts. You know, you have to get a certain return. So I think it's really important to first of all start with your goal, like what do you what do you want to achieve, and then then you can build the portfolio from there. Like there's no point sort of thinking, okay, I want to get, you know, thirty forty percent per annum, you know, and then build your portfolio with those really you know, very conservative stocks that are just not going to get that sort of return. So I, I hold about 40 positions. I only hold listed companies. I don't have anything else besides li- li- um, listed equities. So I, I rarely hold cash. Like I, I, did, I did go, I was about 90% cash at the end of February. That was the first time I'd ever really gone into cash like that. Wow. Um, and that, that took me a week. It took me a whole week to bring my portfolio down to to be ninety percent in cash. It, it felt very dramatic thing to do at the time. Um, but so then when I sort of got back into the market, sort of in early April, I uh, I did read that global stocks would take off a lot more than ASX. So I started building up a lot more global stocks. So in my portfolio that I've constructed it now, I I do hold about thirty percent, probably a bit more in global stocks. I mean, you spoke there about you need to figure out your required return so that you can, I guess, live and continue to be a private investor and also, um, you know, continue investing as well. What is your general time horizon um, with those sort of 40 positions and um, how do you kind of think about the balance of that? Yeah, in terms of how long I'll hold them, I think because half of them are more of a trading portfolio and the other half you know, are companies that I really understand quite well and I definitely use the products and I would sort of hold for a lot longer. So, you know, only half I would sort of trade quite regularly. Right. 
Yeah. So I, I sort of like that balance that I've got the ones that I just think, you know, that's a great company. I'm happy to hold that for longer term. So, Angie, you, you mentioned there that you're only in uh, listed equities. Um, does that include, I guess, ETFs or listed investment companies? And, and more generally, how do you think about those as investment options? Well, with ETFs, like if I just wanted to set and forget, I tell people buy an ETF because it's going to rebalance all the time. Like those Aussie ETFs, every three months, you know, the the you know low performing ones or the sort of the ones that aren't really trending up come out, and all the the new hotter ones go in. So it's going to rebalance every three months. So I, I like ETFs for more of a set and forget. Um, I don't generally hold them. Like I, I might think, get one and then hold it for a little bit and think. No, nah, it's just not going to get me the return that I'm after. I have bought Hack a few times. I've got quite a few cybersecurity stocks. Mm. Um, so I bought Hack on and off over this period. And definitely last year I did buy into a few global ETFs that were listed on the NASDAQ. And they did really well, you know, because when I looked at the stocks they were holding, I thought, you know what, I, they're all the stocks I was wanting to buy. So it was just much easier to buy a global ETF. But um, I think I'd rather just buy the strongest of yeah, that fund. Yeah, yeah. In that hack ETF, I've got um, CrowdStrike and Z Scala, and I'm I think I'm just happy to hold the two, the two from the ETFs that I see have got the most potential. Mm. Do you use leverage in your portfolio? No, I don't. Yeah, interesting. So one more question about portfolio construction, which I think is a. Uh, again, it's a, a question that a lot of people in the Equimates community have. Um, you know, Australians as investors are, are love income. We uh, we have a you know high dividend paying stocks in Australia relative to the rest of the world, um, and yet you know growth investing has has really taken off. And you know we've all watched in amazement at some of the growth stories coming out of the US. Um, how do you balance the I guess the desire for income and growth in your portfolio? Well, we. I would rather, like, say, you know, at the moment, one of my big holdings, Redbubble, you know, they've got quite a lot of cash at the moment and everyone's saying, well, they should pay a dividend. They should pay a dividend. And I think, well, no, I really don't want them to pay me the dividend. I'd much rather they use that to grow their business, maybe find some other businesses to buy and and just use the money that way and grow it. So you would, like, I think some of those companies that were high dividend paying companies like Telstra, you know, they missed so many opportunities because they were giving all the money back to the shareholders and they weren't they weren't be, um, growing their business and looking for good opportunities. So, you know, all these other businesses got to start up and take a lot of their market share because of that. So, Angie, we've, we've sort of uh, covered on how you find the stocks and, um, you know, you use the mix between fundamental and technical analysis and, and uh, look at the volume and, and then also take a bit of a qualitative approach. Um, the big question that we often don't talk about on the show is actually knowing when to sell stocks. And I think in your situation, it'd be particularly important given that um, you're often, I guess, investing in stocks that are hot and on a run and can equally, I guess, go the, in the other direction. But also you need to sell to um, continue to earn and stay alive and, and those things and, and uh, continue to invest. So at a high level, how do you know when to sell? It's, it's so difficult, isn't it, to yes. know when to sell? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, and I would say there was the – for me now, you know, I talk about this big sell and just the normal sell because 
that was something I'd never done before when I'd sold out of all my positions at the at the end of February. So, you know, um, so with that, I now sort of think about, you know, when would I do this crazy big sell and when would I just sell particular stocks throughout my portfolio? And with that sell, like I, I, I was very lucky I had I was following the right people on Twitter at the end of January. So I, you know, started seeing lots of news flow coming through from China, you know, lockdowns and people wouldn't be able to leave their home. And and Levis's third party suppliers um, are located in sort of India and Thailand and China, but, but their um, quality control is, is in a town in China called Qingdao, which is sort of uh, got 9 million residents. And that went into a lockdown at the end of January. So I was quite worried that Levisa wouldn't get any stock out of China. So I went into a few stores and and said to them, you know, are you worried about stock? And they said, oh, yeah, we're not getting stock in at the moment. And I looked at all the hooks and they were starting to look a bit empty. So that's when I started sort of selling a lot of my positions. So I, I now think about when I think about selling, I think about, okay, when would I get rid of everything or when would I just get rid of a particular company? And and so that's something I hadn't thought about before. But definitely one of my sell criteria is I look, like I was saying before, at directors' trades. And the reason I do this, I had a, I had a big, um, you know, if the directors are selling, if there's a lot of big sales going on, I might look to get out of that company. Because back in, in 2016, I had a good position in a company called Vocus. And I wasn't, I wasn't following directors' trades as a rule back then, but I, I did I did see this director's trade, the outgoing CEO, James Spence, he sold 70% of his holding in Focus because he was wanting to start a funds management business. And I thought, oh, that's a big red flag because I would hope that he would want to buy Vocus shares, being that he's starting a funds management business. And I thought, that might oh, wouldn't that be a good share to put in your funds management business rather than sell it so that got me very worried so when I saw that appendix 3y I actually sold out of my focus lucky I did because I sold it above eight dollars and it just continued to go down and down for many many years and I had a good position in it so I after that I I really followed directors trades and I looked to see you know if there's big sales going on I might look to sell with those that sort of portfolio I might just sell because there might just be a better opportunity elsewhere I might just need the money for something else and, you know, I might feel that that company's already had such a good run that there's something else to do with the money and just to free up for another opportunity. Do you, do you have rules around uh, position sizing? Like would you sell because a stock, you know, like you mentioned Afterpay and A2 Milk, they obviously ran a lot uh, in your in the time that you held them. Um, would you ever sell just because they're taking up a large, a too large a percentage of your portfolio. I I try not to because I think that's almost almost like you know like they say watering the weeds and pulling out the flowers. Yeah, I think yeah. I think sometimes you know people yeah trim trim those positions, but it might be a stock that I think you know what I still want to buy that stock. So if I, I still think it's just really running. It's such a good company. They're expanding overseas. They're about to go into that country. It's a really scalable business. It might still be a stock that I would be very happy to add to my position. So I try not to do that. Mm. This is one of the things that we, where you know, retail investors don't have a lot of uh, advantages over professional asset managers, but 
you know, one of the uh, one of the areas where we think retail investors do is they're not constrained by this, you know, maximum position sizing rules that a lot of funds have, and you can actually like really let your winners run. That that's exactly right, and there's. There's a private investor in the US that I follow now because he he tweets a lot about Redbubble and Redbubble is a massive part of his portfolio. I think it's sort of 70 or 80 percent. And he had a great year last year. His return was fantastic. I I can't remember now, maybe 130 percent or something like that. And I think that's right. You know, it's just such a great company that, yeah, he just kept his position really high in that. And I think another advantage that I see for us private investors that I hadn't really acknowledged or understood before is when I spoke to a lot of fund managers about that time last year and the end of February and March, you know, that they weren't they weren't trimming their positions in, in January and February. And I, I couldn't understand why they're doing that. And they, they said, Angie, don't you understand? We we have mandates for our cash cash position. They can't go to 100% cash. They you know, some of them might be a very small cash proportion that they can hold. They have to stay invested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Angie, um, we've uh, we've fast run out of time. I think we could talk stocks with you for hours. But um, if people want to, I guess, uh, follow you online, continue the conversation, uh, where where should they go? Um, you know, are there particular social medias that you're active on um, or anything like that? Yeah, fantastic. So, uh, what? Uh, yeah, definitely on Twitter. I'm eighty twenty invest on Twitter, and I tweet about ASX stocks there. I'm Angie J Ellis as well, and I sort of tweet about global stocks a bit on Angie J Ellis. But I'm also on LinkedIn, and I've got about fifteen thousand on my LinkedIn. So, I would definitely encourage any listeners to link in with me, and I think that's a great way for for people to connect. Uh, on LinkedIn and ask questions. And then if you link in with me, because I've got so many connections, it's easy for your listeners to connect in with other people because they're a second connection. So um, it's a great way to sort of build your LinkedIn connections. So if I have a question for for someone, I'll go on to LinkedIn and find them and and send them information that way. So I, I think LinkedIn and Twitter are great resources. So very happy for people to connect with me. Nice one. Well, um, we do always like to finish with the same final three questions. We're nothing if not predictable. Uh, so we'll get stuck into those. Um, the first one is, uh, do you have any books that you consider must read? And and these can be investing or otherwise. Well, like you mentioned before, Peter Lynch's One Up on Wall Street is a great read and a quick read. And I've recommended that to a few people and they've all loved it. So definitely read One Up on Wall Street. Another great book, I think, is The Star Principle, that Richard Koch book. He's written several books and he helps us to find these star businesses. Like these are businesses that operate in the high growth sectors and are the leaders. And the book's great too because, you know, even if you want to start a business, it sort of helps you to look at what sort of business you should start and identify those sorts of businesses. Yeah, so I would definitely, I, I do reread books. I find, you know, even rereading one up on Wall Street, like you might read it once and then maybe pick it up a bit later and read it again. You'll get something new out of it each time. Yeah, yeah, nice. I um, I haven't heard of Star Principle, so I'll definitely add that one to my list. Yeah, and he wrote several books on how to apply the 80-20 rule and my fund's 80-20. Oh, okay. So he's written quite a bit about how to apply that 80-20 rule to all walks of life. And for people who are unfamiliar with the 80-20 rule, do you want to uh, explain like I'm five? 
Well, yeah, I mean, you can apply it in all different ways, but I, I called my fund that because when I ran my business, it was very much that 80% of my sales were from 20% of my customers. And just, yeah, I, I you know, you sort of, he's trying to get you to focus on, okay, what 20, what, what is that 20% that's achieving the 80% and look at that and, and try to work out what that 20% is so you can, like, and even with my stocks, I think 80% of my profits are from 20% of my stocks. Yeah. So what, so. So what are those twenty percent, and and you can have a lot more success. So that rule's fantastic. Like if you read some of his books, or just even just watch some of his YouTube videos, it's quite interesting. Yeah, great. So the second question is, uh, in sixty seconds or less, uh, what's the best company you've ever seen? Okay, I, I this was a hard question. Like I thought of saying all these things like Google, Microsoft, all these other businesses, you know, Apple, but then I thought, Angie, you have never bought shares in any of those companies. <laughs> so I thought that's not the answer. So I'd say Shopify. Mm. Um, so I, I built an amazing online shop for a friend back in 2013 in two days using Shopify. So I was totally hooked and I bought shares in Shopify and I find like it's a weapon, not an anchor for retailers and they've got – over 1.7 million stores using the platform, like JB Hi-Fi use it, LaVisa, Red Bull, Kim Kardashian. Like mm. if you want to set up a, a retail shop, it's just such a great platform to create the shop on. Yeah, yeah. As, as a long-term holder of uh, Shopify, I have to agree. Also, Tesla's uh, website uh, and store is built with Shopify. So it really is, wow. you know, the big end of town all the way down to the small online retailers. So um, That's yeah. right. And they doubled revenue last year. Over last year, they doubled their revenue. Yeah, great company. Anyway, we could uh, we could talk Shopify all day, but uh, we will move on to the final question. Um, if you think back to your early days as an investor, you know when you were running your business and uh, trying to get as many shares as possible in the MYOB IPO, <laughs> uh, what advice would you have for your younger self? Um, yeah, definitely, I would say be a bit more tenacious even though I'm a bit tenacious now but I don't think I was back then like I would probably um have fought a bit harder for something and I would when I thought about that question I thought I would definitely um say to my younger self don't don't seek validation on your ideas that's really important and I've watched a few um, videos by a girl called Sarah Blakely. She has a company called Spanx, mm. which is worth a billion dollars and she's funded all herself. She's never taken any investment from anyone, so she owns it 100% and she's talked a lot about this um, seeking validation thing. So if, when she had the idea for Spanx, she didn't tell anyone. She totally set it up, had it in stores and didn't mention it because she said, Friends and family are going to want to protect you. They know that they, you know, they won't want you to lose money. So, if you can, if you tell people your idea about a stock or a business, they may be trying to protect you and and tell you, oh no, isn't there lots of other businesses doing that? And you know, like the Guzman y Gomez guy, you know, set up a Mexican store, and I'm sure, you know, people would have said, isn't there already a lot of Mexican stores? So. I think sometimes just I would tell my younger self, don't seek validation. Just if you've got a good idea, just go for it and trust yourself. And I've got this silly little thing. I was going to just push it. It's like this little device. That, it's called Yes, Dear. And then if I've got a really good idea, I'll push it. And it says like, you know, Angie, do you think you should do this? If you're happy, I'm happy. And it's just, <laughs> like, hang on, it does all these other ones. Why did I think of that? <laughs> 
<laughs> so I think instead of just seeking validation from other people, I push my little funny thing that I've got here. I'm like, yes, you know, that is a good idea. <laughs> Love that. We need to sell that on their Shopify uh, yeah. somewhere. <laughs> I love it. Nice, Angie. Well, a great piece of advice to finish on. And uh, look, I think there's been a lot in in today's interview that would certainly be relatable to a lot of our audience and also actionable, which I think is also important. You know, you don't have to uh, get too deep in the weeds when it comes to the financial reporting and all that sort of stuff. As you've demonstrated, you can get out there and, and find a fair bit about uh, a company to invest in just by speaking to people working for it or going have a, going and experiencing it for yourself. So thank you for sharing uh, your journey and your story and we appreciate your time today. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Angie. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.